You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to tune in today. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Today, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a part two to what we did a couple of days ago. Uh, We talked a little bit about the New World Order, and we're going to get into it just a little bit more today because we kind of skipped over some stuff. So we're going to talk today about Russia. We're going to talk about the Catholic Church. We're going to talk about extremist groups. We're going to talk about U.S. academia. We're going to talk about Bill Gates. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, some of these secret societies that do come out of uh, U.S. academia. So we're going to get into uh, all these groups today. So let's go ahead and get started because uh, we're going to try and keep this to a decent amount of time today. It's good to see you guys again. I know that we had a little conversation the other day, Marty, about the New World Order. I had a lot of fun on that one. Uh, I really enjoyed it. We, we brought up some really interesting points. The list you have, we didn't get to cover at all. So I thought due to the interest of time for the last one, we thought we we're going to have to cut some of it, which you know we had to just skip over some groups. I didn't like skipping over some of those groups because there were some really important groups that were in there that we didn't talk about. And I'm sure that the listeners probably sitting there thinking, wait a minute, uh, New World Order, you're talking about the EU, the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the Chinese Communist Party, the Freemasons and all that stuff. But hey, you even talked about uh, aliens and lizard people for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, there were some other groups that we actually meant to talk about in there. Some groups that I wanted to key on. that We just didn't have enough time for. So, I mean, sure. I was thinking more along the lines of like, uh, you know, big tech companies, which we talked about them a little bit. Russia, these things uh, uh, that you listed, uh, Catholic Church, Jesuits, the Illuminati, Priory of Zion. On. Uh, I wanted to talk about Bill Gates. You know, these are key figures that we see out there promoting their agendas. So, I mean, they're they're relevant in all this. I think they're key players. I wanted to talk about U.S. academia. I wanted to talk about uh, and that you can even equate to groups that you find in some of these universities like Skull and Bones, for example, that come out of like universities uh, such as Yale that many U.S. presidents were uh, were members of, including George, most notably George Bush, Jr. and Sr. His father, Bush one's father, Prescott Bush, was in there. Uh, and he was also a avid funder of a, a fascist dictator here in Europe for the time. There's relevance and uh, and key aspects to look at here. So uh, I thought we'd get into some of the things that we skipped over and kind of make it a not really a, a second part, but it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, it's a continuation, perhaps. For me at the moment, though, after getting it all off my chest the other night, it's like when you finally bite the bullet and, and call the dentist because you've got a nagging tooth that needs fixing. Once you've done it, you actually feel a little bit better. And so, yeah, I uh, I felt uh, a lot more relaxed as I wandered around my home during lockdown the last 24 hours because I've got it off my chest. So hopefully what we're about to talk about won't wind my stress levels way back up there again. But let's let's go for it. All right. You need the way, yeah. sir. But it's a good point you make there because I tell you what, after some of the stuff that Bruce and I talked about last night, uh, and we've learned more about it, uh, and we're going to play some clips of that coming up. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. What's happening in the United States right now is, and you, Marty, you heard a little bit of it when you came in here. Uh, I was playing part of yeah. those clips. Yeah, I did. What's happening and over I, there right now is part of this agenda. Yes, I did hear some of it, and I'd also heard some more of it on YouTube and other news channels, uh, other you know, internet news sources uh, during the course of the last 24, 36 hours. And, you know, the plot thickens, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was kind of halfway relaxed until I started learning more about it. But like I said, uh, we're going to get into that tomorrow. And I'm going to try my hardest not to get into it today because I and, and just absolutely explode. So <laughs> let's uh, have a safe word. Should, should, should we have a safe, safe word? word? <laughs> I need yeah. a safe space. I need a safe space. Give me a safe yeah. space. Um, important okay. privilege. Yeah. Um, you see, where where was that? I'm sorry. Point of personal privilege. Yeah. Please okay, go ahead. do not use gendered language to to address everyone. You know, I miss those days when we actually had crazies like that running around. But they're still there. They're, they're, they're still they're there. Still there's just a, they're on lockdown at the moment. They're in their safe yeah. spaces. They just, yeah, okay. So, all right, let's jump into this. Let's, uh, we're having too much fun here. Let's stop horsing around. We need to get serious. That's why GP didn't hang around today. He says, no, you guys like to be all serious. I can't stay in here. <laughs> so he had to leave. <laughs> so let's talk about Russia. Okay, where, where do you want to start with Russia? Because I was kind of confused on this one. Ru- Russia, to me, the new Russia, right? The, the new one, not uh, Soviet communist Russia. I'm talking about the new Russia. The new Russia that believes in ideas for Russians and a system of a somewhat free market and uh, a way of rebuilding themselves and getting out from underneath the the thumb of uh, oppressive regimes over the last 80 years that's killed uh, at least at least uh, between 40 and 60 million of their own people. So it seems to me like the Russians are going a different direction. They're looking at, uh, you know, hey, you know, Putin's looking at this idea of, hey, you know, capitalism, this isn't too bad. You know, we, we tried communism all these years, didn't really work. And Putin himself, right, he is and was and comes from the family of communism, right? Putin himself was the head of the KGB. You don't get to be head of the KGB by being stupid, right? He's a very intelligent guy. So I, I hate the fact sometimes that the media kind of downplays Putin because he's not a stupid guy. His father, for example, right, his father, now, how did, how did Putin get to where he's at, right? You got to understand Russian politics and the way that the system works over there. But we don't have that much time today, unfortunately, because it's really interesting stuff. But Putin, for example, just where he came from, his father was Joseph Stalin's private chef. Not a lot of people know that. Now, dictators around the world have their private chefs and, and um, you know, have their food tasters and, and all this and that and for good reason, because dictators are always, you know, succumbing to throughout history are succumbing to what? Dirty groups coming coming along, you know, people in the power, inner power circles trying to poison them or whatever. So if you can't trust your personal chef, who can you trust? So he taught his father. He, he taught Putin's father. He taught him the ins and outs and was probably, in my opinion, was probably one of his most trusted. And so that's how uh, Vladimir was able to get where he's at. So very interesting story on where he came from. But Russia, you know, I'm rambling here already. So Russia, what do you got? Okay, well, let's, let's just talk about some of what you just talked about. Stalin, 50 million people that he basically killed during his the, mm. the course of his premiership. Or- yeah, it, well, the numbers aren't known. That's I mean, I've looked in, a lot into Russian history and I, I still study it you know, as much as I can because it's fascinating. But we don't really know. It's books that I've read. Uh, as far as uh, going back through through Russians, I mean, it's in the it's in the tens of millions. Anywhere between forty and sixty million are the documented historical numbers. It could okay. be higher than that, but we don't know. All right. So it's um, an environment of fear. The people in the Politburo don't trust each other, and they are certainly guarded in their conversations with old Joe Stalin. So hardly surprising that he talks to his his staff, his chef. But yes, you called Putin clever, intelligent. He's got a certain type of intelligence. Uh, He's got an animal cunning, but Mm -hmm. he's, he's obvious. The recent attacks conducted in the UK by 
FSB agents, which is the the new name for the KGB, using Novichok chemical agents to try and take out some old double agents. Shall we say it was obvious? You know, the, the, the traces all the way back to the Kremlin were easy to follow. So is he really clever? Is he that intelligent? Or is he just cunning? And he actually doesn't give a toss. That's the other thing he's got. He's got those big balls that we were talking about the other day. He really doesn't care. And modern Russia may be running down a capitalist path, but it's still got all of that totalitarian communist government infrastructure with the FSB and and their police forces and their armed forces all under direct control of the president. And people are still scared. Capitalism in in Russia is only for the very few, the ones that, um, yeah, the the, the oligarchs, uh, and and they've all got rich by being part of that original power system in the first place, and then it's been handed on dynastically from father to son. So it's another organisation. It's it's a road for all intents and purposes. Despite the fact, are they on the Security Council? They are, aren't they? They have uh, to yes. be because they're a yep. they're a nuclear nation. Yep. They're a nuclear power. Yeah. Uh, so despite the fact that they're on the Security Council, I think we should just regard Russia as a rogue nation and and keep them very much at arm's length and scrutinize everything that they do and every interaction the rest of us have with them. So I'm, I'm really not on on message with you there, mate. I, I, I don't think that they're the that they're, they're really improving or what's the word moderating at all. Mm. Russia is still Russia, not to be trusted. And they'll do everything they can to uh, cause trouble in the West that in turn favors their economy. I have to agree with you on those aspects that you brought up. I mean, you brought up some really good points there. And to be fair, I mean, look, we we made an alliance with them during the Second World War. I mean, we've talked about that before, and I've, I've made my points on that clear. I think that that was a mistake. But we were focused at the time on fascism conquering the West. And we were kind of, we had that adage of uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing, you know? So the problem I see here is, like I said, I, I look at it as as Russia trying to reform it and try and build their economy. I'm, I'm looking at it from a sense of where they were and where they are now, right? From a from a market standpoint. And they seem to be doing better. They're, they're trying to lift themselves out from an economical standpoint. That's the point I was trying to make. But I think that by the West getting too close to that, um, that Soviet essence, if you will. I think it's had long-term consequences in the West, and we're seeing the end game of those consequences now, don't you think? We are seeing the part of you know the beginning of the end, so that uh, it will go one way or another. It will either go that we can treat Russia as a safe trading partner and respect the areas in which they influence world politics, such as uh, the northern Middle East. So Syria, their interactions in Syria, some would say it's exactly what is needed to, to beat ISIS uh, or ISIL, but others would say it's just a way of reinforcing another dictator and simply because they want a Mediterranean port. So the Russians, you know, access to the Med via a, a Syrian port. That's what they're after. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what they want to maintain. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's... It's a it's a muscle flex, uh, and as they settle back down, they've got a little bit more room. Fascism and communism are two sides of the same coin. They're just delivered in slightly different manners. And before uh, Russia joined 
in and, and committed their troops. And before Operation Barbarossa by the Germans, there was an agreement between Hitler and Stalin of kind, you know, there was a peace deal, wasn't there? Mm-hmm, yeah, because, yeah it was um, a non-aggressive pact, yeah. No, yeah, non-aggression pact. And then immediately after the Second World War, I know for one that Churchill wanted to turn around and go straight after Russia because he could see the threat of, of communism and a great many of the hawkish ones within the American government and American military wanted to do the same thing. But no one had any more stomach for war and it was it, the, the idea was, was stopped. But since the Second World War, and I'm not sure if it still goes on, but certainly while the Soviet Union was still standing, the United States sent millions of tons of grain every year to Russia because they knew that if the Russian harvest failed, they had no choice but to put the whole of the Soviet Union on a war footing and head uh, west and, and try and reach the western seaboard within about 28 days before they ran out of fuel and food to capture the West to feed the rest of Russia. So, mm-hmm. you know, in those terms, Russia is obviously changing things around. Its, its economy is different. But some of those things, I think, are, are, st- are still relevant. The way in which Russia interacts with the rest of the world is always as kind of the, the bully. That's the way I see it. But of course, Russia would have it round the other way that the United States and NATO are the bully. This is an interesting topic here at Neo-Nazis, because every time you flip on the TV and you see a protest somewhere, we were talking about this today. Every time you flip on the TV and you see a protest somewhere, they always have some individuals, let's say, some very uh, interesting characters that they stick out there and they give them, you know, swastika flags or, or whatever. And they say that this is what this protest represents. So you get you know, just a couple of people that are standing off to the side. And that's what the news cameras focus on. But at the same time, you can't dismiss the fact that there are real groups like this. Uh, So where where do you want to go with it? The list, the purpose of the list was the usual suspects. So it's the groups of people that conspiracy theorists put blame onto for whatever conspiracy they're talking about. So as a group, uh, neo-Nazis, the Klan, all the nationalist parties, most of which have now been made illegal. You know, in in the UK, we had the National Front was kind of first one that got any impetus. They were made illegal. Then it was the British National Party. They have now been disgraced and made illegal. And then you've got organisations which aren't political parties like the English Defence League. And and there's there's Facebook pages and organisations like Britain First. And all of these groups are feeding our Facebook or, you know, the, the latter ones are feeding our, our Facebook pages with images that aren't necessarily true, but fire up a certain emotion. So we're being tweaked and manipulated by those groups. At the same time, we're being tweaked and manipulated by extreme liberals, Antifa. Extreme liberal sounds crazy, but mm-hmm. that's essentially what they are. So it does sound crazy, doesn't it? Because it doesn't fit. Like no, liberal liberals we, aren't extreme. Like the, the true they, liberals, by the way, they shouldn't be. But but the ones that we're seeing on short videos on YouTube and uh, at these protests, they would call themselves liberal. Yeah. Um, well. They've taken the term over. That's the thing. Yeah. They can't compete with a particular term or a label, so they have to take it over. That, that's what they've done. They took that over in the 50s. So this is why the modern yeah. generation from 
our perspective, from our parents' perspective, right? Liberal doesn't mean liberal in the classic term because they took it over right around the time, you know, our parents were, were born or just a little um, after that. Yeah. So we summed them up last night, actually, even though we didn't mention them by name, as useful idiots. So these are highly volatile, usually younger groups of people, easily led, doesn't matter what their politics are. They're just crying out for someone to tell them what to do. Mm. They're so full of anger and there's a willingness to act outside of the law in the pursuit of their political policies. So they're useful idiots and they are the ones that are being manipulated by the, the very rich on from all parts uh, of the big game. And it is a big game and people treat it like a game, which is wrong because it's people's lives they're dealing with. It's people's futures. You're going to mention some of the, the world's richest people, again, that we didn't single out on the last podcast that we where we talked about this, but they're the ones who play it like a game because they've got so rich. The reason they've got rich is because they were wired that way because, let's face it, if it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. We'd all We'd all get that kind of wealth, which would make it meaningless, but it's not that easy and you have to be a certain type of person with a certain level of drive and ambition to achieve those those kind of levels of, of wealth. Right. They've got egos. They've got nothing to do because they're bored and they've got lots of money, more money than they'll ever need, and they can start to play out their egos, innermost desires. And this is what we see, what I think we see from people like Gates. Yeah. Um, so do, we, do you want to take it from there? Uh, uh, yeah, we can jump into Gates if you want to. But uh, just to, to finish up there on what you said about neo-Nazis, you're absolutely right about those groups. That's what they do, right? Bruce and I are working on something. We're doing it kind of on the side here. I mean, we've been kind of messed up here with all this uh, this virus stuff and what's happening in the US. But now what we heard yesterday and, and what we're going to be talking about tomorrow, th- that's a huge deal. So, I mean, we, we're not ignoring it, but we're going to get into some of these, uh, you know, extreme left groups and extreme right groups. And we want want to lay out a big thing. We'll get everybody in on it too. So, I mean, you'll be here, GP will be here, uh, and anybody else that we have around that wants to be in and all that, uh, you know, we can manage it and make it work and maybe do a two-hour special on it. But what do they do? These extremist groups, be it right or left, it doesn't matter, right? Whatever it is. They pick a particular demographic that they'll go after. In this case, as you said, they go after the younger people, right? The, the ones that are, um, you know, upset, disturbed, uh, you know, whatever, the the, uh, the lonely or, or, you know, non-fulfilled or whatever it is they do, right? The basement dwellers, if you want to call them that, uh, they'll go after these people and they'll float an idea to them and it'll be floated across this various social media platforms, as you said, or web pages or whatever. You know, the Americans actually have uh, oddly enough, I mean, this is where we started our research. The the Americans actually have an American Nazi party. It's an actual party. Anyone can go there and look it up. They are there. They have a website. They're a registered political party in the United States, and they are a 501c3 tax-exempt charitable foundation. I am not joking. Anyone can go and look that up. Most people don't know that. But what do they do? They float ideas that sound good. Both sides do this, right? Same thing with the Communist Party USA. They have a website and they're a 501c3 as well. They float ideas that sound good to the average person. Both sides have something to sell everybody. 
So you get somebody in there that doesn't have the wherewithal or the know-how to form an, an independent thought, like you said. They're just looking for someone to come along and kind of direct them. Well, these groups placate to that particular crowd. And they'll float ideas to them and say, hey, you know, do, do you like, uh, you know, being around like-minded people? You know, do you think that there's a problem when you, you know, go out and, you know, this isn't done this way? Or, you know, do you feel like you're not getting paid enough for what you do? Yeah, well, so do we. You know, that's that's how we feel. Uh, you, you should come and, and join our group. And that's what people will do. They'll, they'll get involved. And then before you know it, they're wound up into this extremist, you know, whatever. And then they're standing out there uh, holding up a sign that says, you know, whatever. I, it doesn't matter. But I mean, you see them. But yeah, that, that's what those groups do. Those are their tactics. Do I think that they're prime for um, world domination? No. Uh, if you look at some of these people, they look like they just don't know how to put their pants on. But I think that they're in the mix and they're they're just useful idiots, right? They're just placated groups. They're They're toyed with. By guys like Gates. You want to talk about Gates? Oh, actually, I wanted to talk about Gates. Bill Gates is, um, I, I don't even know where to start with him, right? He's a, um, he's a guy that comes from money, right? Just like Trump. But he, you know, a guy like Donald Trump pales in comparison to a guy like Gates when it comes to wealth. Gates developed something that everybody knows, Microsoft. Uh, he was given a lot of money by his mother to develop Microsoft. His mother was uh, an executive for IBM. And he developed this entire system through uh, through Microsoft, you know, Windows and, and all that stuff. Now, he is an intelligent guy when it comes to that stuff. He's he's very uh, he's very gifted when it comes to the development of software and, and, you know, developing operating systems and things like that, having that system marketed and pushed out to the world. So that's kind of indisputable. But this idea now that he's into this, all this other stuff, right, it made him a very rich man. Microsoft did. It's his company. He, he built it. And he's stepped away from that. Now he's into this um, this vaccine stuff with and he's mixed in with like the, you know, his own foundation. See, the problem is, is when you get people that are of a certain status, like uh, a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett, they get to a point where they develop an inferiority complex, I think is is what they do. And when they get to that point, uh, they get really egotistical and they get nihilistic pretty much. So they they turn around, they have all this money and they have all this wealth and they don't know what to do with it. So what a lot of these groups did back in the 50s, they learned how to set up charitable foundations. So they launder their wealth through charitable foundations. If you really want to go after these groups, you have to investigate the foundations that they represent. The Clinton Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Warren Buffett with his various foundations, the Open Society Foundations with George Soros, right? This is where they put all their money. This is why somebody like George Soros, who's worth, uh, you know, hundreds of trillions of dollars, but his public net worth is only eight billion. How's that possible? He gave 32 billion just a couple of months ago. How can a guy that's only got a net worth of eight billion give 32 billion dollars openly? Because he does it through his foundations. So these individuals will go out and form these groups around these tax exempt foundations. Bill Gates took on the task of vaccinations. He's part of this uh, this global elite. He's a key player in all this. Uh, he's part of this global elite that was put in charge of uh, this particular aspect. And now he's working in conjunction with the World Health Organization uh, and uh, the NIH, the FDA. Uh, and he's got various representatives, guys like Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci sits on the leadership council of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Bill Gates gave him $100 million last year uh, through his foundation to Fauci for the NIH. You're telling me that there's I mean, that's documented. You're telling me that there's not a connection there. You're telling me there's no influence there. I don't believe that for a second. You've got Fauci running around like he's the president of the United States. You know, somebody wants to come out of their house. Can we come out of our house, Dr. Fauci? No, you'll die. That's like that's what's happening. So Bill Gates is also uh, connected very heavily with the World Health Organization. World Health Organization. We know who they're connected with. Right. 
I mean, we, we know the connections there to uh, to the to the CCP. So, I mean, th- this isn't disputed. Bill Gates was out last week talking about how, uh, you know, China did an outstanding job in the initial stages of this. Who else is touting that line? The World Health Organization. So this is a real thing. Uh, and now you've got Gates pushing vaccines. They're pushing vaccines on people. You look at his TED Talks, you go back and you watch those. Uh, he's talking about how he was, at the time he was comparing a human population growth to climate change. And he says now both of these, are, you know, CO2 levels, and he says now both of these emit very large numbers. Now, one of these numbers has to go to zero. Uh, uh, um, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so, Mr. Gates. You're, you're up there talking about genocide. What do humans exhale? Carbon dioxide. You're talking about genocide openly. And what does the crowd do? They laugh. They laugh at him because they think, oh, here's a non-threatening guy. Real funny. Talking about how all these numbers need to go to zero, whether it's human population or whether it's carbon dioxide. If you get rid of carbon dioxide with or without humans, you get rid of carbon dioxide, all life on this planet will cease to exist. That's a that's a fact. So this guy, this guy coming out and and touting all this stuff and and publicly saying things like this and and pushing his little vaccines on people that, you know, what Bill Gates is going to give you a, a vaccine for the common cold. He would love to do that. He's got the patent on the vaccine already. It's there. He's in charge of it because he owns the patent. Him, his companies, the people he's working with, the companies he's working with. Johnson and Johnson is one of the biggest ones. Yes, I'll name them. They're working with all this to sell you the vaccine to get the money through the insurance companies. You say, well, they want money. No, they don't. They just want the precedent to be able to come in and forcibly vaccinate you. They've already got a vaccine for this thing. That's the key to this. They've already got one. Now, it's not going to work, but they've whatever it is that they've got to hit you with, it's already there. Now, like I said, it's not it's not going to work. The, the idea you're going to come up with a vaccine for the common cold and 30 strains of this virus just in the U.S. alone is it's as preposterous. It's absurd. So there's a race on right now. This is what's happening. You're seeing the United States wanting to get back to work. It's like a pressure cooker over there, right? The top is about to blow. People are pissed. They're coming out of their houses. They're saying the hell with your lockdown orders. We need the state to reopen because we're not going to starve. And then on the other side of this, you've got people like Gates that are rushing a vaccine and it's been given the green light. This, this is really alarming uh, to, to rush the vaccine. We don't rush vaccines. You don't do that. You're going to rush out a vaccine, ignoring all the clinical trials and the risks, d- thinking that you're going to do some good with this. You, you can't do that. That's that's just not how we do it. Uh, and then you're going to f- expect people to take this before they can go back to work. You go to hell. That's that's what I say to it. So there's a race on to either reopen the country or to get a vaccine out and then reopen the country because you, you've got a, a warring faction here between the two sides. But OK, I'm rambling about Bill Gates. What do you want to talk about with him? It's stuff that I've I've only recently become aware of because I'm as guilty as being complacent and apathetic as the next man up until quite recently. The thing about, is it Bill and Melinda Gates? Yes, that's their foundation. That's He right, and his wife, okay. they run that foundation. Yeah. Um, there's a link that goes, and it really is there, there's this link that goes from the companies that made Agent Orange. It's Monsanto. <laughs> yeah, which he, I think he owns quite a, lot, a high degree of shares in there because they moved into the genetically modified food. Um, with Bayer, with moved, Bayer AG in Germany, yeah. yes. And Bayer AG in Germany was a company that made the Zyklon B. Well, no, it wasn't It wasn't Bayer. It was, it was IG Farben that made it. But, I mean, yeah, yeah okay. I'm sure there's the link there anyway. But fundamentally, Bill and Melinda were harping on about reproductive health 
because they do believe that the world is overpopulated. And in actual fact, yes, it, it probably is overpopulated. In certain um, aspects, I could see that. That does hold true because you've got uh, certain pockets of parts of the world that are overpopulated and the infrastructure cannot handle it. So you're, you're right yeah, on that. But of course, Bill's solution was uh, worldwide contraception, abortion, and now a lot of people can't stomach those two concepts. Oh, his father ran Planned Parenthood. His father ran yeah, exactly. Planned Parenthood in the US. Well, so so that's a, a big clue as to, to the way the guy thinks. But of course, in the countries that really are overpopulated, whose infrastructure can't cope with the number of people that are there, the concept of not having as many children as you possibly can simply doesn't occur to them, either for financial reasons or religious reasons. You know, in Africa, uh, in the poorer parts of Africa, you have as many children as you can because your children become your pension. They're the ones that are going to continue to feed you in your old age when you can't farm or hunt or or work anymore. So, you know, his his whole concept there of how sexual health and reproductive health and choices we're going to slow down the, the rate of population growth. We're already flawed. So he's going to keep pushing stuff like that because that's the way he's wired. He doesn't give up. You know, so many uh, driving ambitions within the man. But instead, he's moved on to something else, vaccinations. And no, we don't rush vaccinations or any kind of medicines for that matter. Uh, you've only got to look at the thalidomide disaster uh, that happened here in the UK, and it may have happened in the States as well. I'm not mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. But basically, yeah. it was a drug to help mothers with morning sickness that caused such severe birth defects. So on one on one hand, if, you, if you've got uh, a healthy reproductive population and they're having healthy babies, that's no issue. It's when they're having more babies than their country can physically cope with is in terms of education and feeding them. And and that's the way he was thinking, I believe, with with, with the whole Planned Parenthood and, and that route that he was taking. So, uh, right. OK, I, I, as much as I want to continue to talk about Gates, uh, we're, we're going to have to jump to something else here because, you know, we're yeah, that's sure. But, I've got no problem with that. OK, let's talk on uh, you, you listed here the Catholic Church, Priory of Zion, uh, Illuminati, Jesuits, uh, Zionist Jews. Uh, Bruce, you're you're the theological guy. Uh, I'm assuming that you two can uh, can run with this one. So um, personally, I know nothing about those groups other than the Catholic Church. And what I know about that is very limited. This, again, this is this is largely my opinion. Some of it from what I've read, some of it what is plain to see, you know, the, the information and, and it, it is out there. The Catholic Church, I think, is probably the richest organization in the world. And there's lots of conspiracies surrounding the uh, and mystery surrounding the Catholic Church. Inside the Vatican itself, there's frescoes, which are half people in angelic, bright white costumes. But as it moves across the wall, they turn into demons and dragons and lizard-headed grayed out figures and this links into the the other part of the group that you know people ask the question they've seen this fresco why is the catholic church you know commissioning that kind of artwork is it a sign is it indicative of something else also with contraception as we know contraception has been practiced since the first human beings learned how to use different plants However, the Catholic Church put a blanket ban on contraception simply because 
it wanted to expand as the largest religion on the face of the earth. So the more Catholics you have having more babies, the more Catholics you wind up with. So and as each of those people are supposed to pay one-tenth of their annual income as a tithe to the church in charity and donations, the church gets bigger and richer and so on. So obviously it's rich grounds, or it's obviously to me, it's rich grounds for conspiracy theorists to point the finger at the Catholic Church when they think something is happening. That, that's where I am with that, Bruce. Have you got anything on that? Yeah, so the Catholic Church does have a bit of a, um, shall we say, dirty past. It does. I, I, I totally agree that because of those past dealings and, and the things that they did, or the, the, even the current uh, positions they take, it does leave it wide open for conspiracies. And, you know, one of the one of the big causes I think of today, or one of the big encouragements, if you will, of, of conspiracy theories is lack of information on, on something or the lack of transparency that leaves it wide open for people coming up with different uh, different ideas on, on the, the way something is done or happens or what have you. So yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally see them as um, people going after that as a conspiracy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're candidates. They're, you know, the, the way that the church is run, the way it closes ranks, the way it's covered up historical paedophilia cases. You know, it's it's admitting these things now, but there, there's so there's been so many cover-ups. Now, I'm not saying that everyone in the Catholic Church is some kind of evil individual. I'm sure that a lot of priests, most priests, most monks, most nuns, are people of faith and they're moral people. They've dedicated their lives to acts of charity and, and worship. But the organization as a whole has been very protective of itself, and it is ridiculously wealthy. Uh, there's a saying from the Bible that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. So if that's their opinion of wealth, and with Jesus throwing the money lenders out of the temple, uh, showing his disdain for avarice and you know wealth in general, it strikes me uh, strange that the Catholic Church should be so rich, because as soon as the money comes in, it should be being spent where it's needed to be spent on its poor, particularly in South America, particularly in Africa, parts of Asia, where there's huge poverty and a great many Catholics. So that's why I think they're deserving of the finger being pointed at them. And as I said before, I firmly believe that the majority of people within the Catholic Church are good, charitable, and devout people. But the organization itself seems to be lacking in some respects. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, some things they could do a little differently, uh, especially uh, I did a quick quick look to see what the wealth of the Catholic Church is, just for reference. And the best guesses that they have, right, because obviously we don't really know, is uh, about $15 billion. Uh, that's the, the best guess from... Only you know, $15 billion. Only $15 billion. So Bill Gates is, is richer than the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't believe that for a minute. The wealth, though, that that's kind of really a secondary. If you look at the amount of influence they have globally, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Catholics around the world, and and the Pope has a lot of influence over 
over their decision making or opinions. If we go back to uh, the Middle Ages, uh, during the time of the Crusades and also moving through into the Inquisition, people gave huge swathes of land to the church for the forgiveness of their sins. So if they wanted to get absolution before they met their maker, and maybe the church was saying, ah, but, you know, Sir Marty, we know that you've um, committed murder, so we can't absolve you. Oh, but how about I give you these 50,000 acres from my estate in Hampshire, uh, and you absolve me. Oh, yeah, that'll do nicely. The same with the Crusades and the pilgrimages. The Templar Order, they were essentially the world's first traveler's check. You paid your money in at the at, at the temple of the Knights Templar in the country that you were setting out on your pilgrimage to the Holy Land from. And then on the way, you could call in at any place where the, the Templars were along that pilgrimage route and draw money, which meant you didn't have to carry silver and gold and make yourself at risk to highway robbery because the um, the promissory note was only good for you to draw from the coffers. But people died on pilgrimages, and the, the Knights Templar organization got very, very rich as a result of people dying and leaving their wealth that they'd put into the, the, the hands of the Templars for their, for their pilgrimage. And they had no one to give it back to. There was no way of giving it back to somebody. So they got very rich. And this is where one of the other shadowy groups that sometimes gets pointed at in terms of um, conspiracy theory comes in, such as the Priory of Zion. This is supposedly a list of people who are in an organization that disguise uh, and continue to cover up a secret. Now, Dan Brown um, in his book, hang on, it'll come to me in a minute. I've never heard the of Holy this. You've you never heard of the Priory of Zion. There, never. There's a book called There's a book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. You told me about it. it. Was, uh, yeah, it was written by a group of investigative journalists. Four investigative journalists read conspiracy theorists, but it stems from one provable fact that uh, a poor Paris priest from the south of France was suddenly able to pay for a road that connected his region to Paris. And this was after he'd gone into the um, catacombs of his church, so the ossuaries and the shrines underneath the church, and came out with something, immediately went to Paris, then went to Rome, and then came back and started spending money like it was going out of fashion. Uh, to cut a long story short, and there's lots of historical reasoning that add up to what they suggest in the book, which is that Christ didn't die on the cross, that the crucifixion was staged, that he escaped across the Mediterranean with his wife, um, and the reason behind that is he, he was known as, as rabbi, and he was from a particular region where their style of Judaism would mean that you wouldn't get called rabbi unless you were married. You had to be married to be a rabbi because people who are not married have no life experience, and the rabbis are teachers, and they teach people how to deal with life's troubles. So the suggestion is that he was married and that it was the Magdalene, that it was his wife, and that they escaped across the Mediterranean, made landfall in the south of France, and the line of Moravian kings who spread across Europe's countries thereafter were all descended from Jesus and Mary Magdalene's offspring. 
So this is what the Priory of Zion is about, and this is what the Dan Brown books allude to, and this is why they are another candidate for fingers to be pointed at in terms of any conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who else were we to talk about? Uh, Jesuits. Well, it's all linked in. It and and the Illuminati. It's it's kind of all linked in. The uh-huh. uh The Jesuits. Um, I've heard of the Jesuits. The yeah, I've heard of the Jesuits. I've heard of the Illuminati. I don't know necessarily. Like the the Illuminati, I know is uh, it's it's a largely. I mean, it, it, its origins are in uh, are in Germany, uh, and it was it actually stands for the Illuminated ones. But yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Again, that list is purely there, so we could have had the we so that we could have the discussion about who are they, and mm-hmm. you know when conspiracy theories are getting thrown around, unsubstantiated conspiracy theories are being thrown mm-hmm. around. Organisations get the finger pointed at them, and yeah. um, the term Illuminati, you're right, is you know the, the enlightened ones could just mean scientists. That's what Dan Brown would have you think, the you know the, the fictional author, but people with scientific understanding. The Jesuits, again, I put them there because they were one of the first groups from the, uh, the from the Catholic Church to really start um, expanding the faith on missions of conversion to the far flung corners of the of the world, including Japan, Philippines, you know, Africa, South America. Um, it was the Jesuit organization that really led the way in that expansion of the faith. So they seem to be a group within a group, if you like. If you ever watch Point Break, that's mm-hmm. what they were told to look for. Look for a group within a group, mm-hmm. you know, the surfer, surfer dudes. So right. that's why they're there on the list. But we don't need to talk much more about those. Okay. Let's jump over to, uh, let's jump over to American academia. Now, I, I can't speak to... Uh, European countries per se. I mean, the universities here seem to be, uh, you know, not doing any funny business, at least none that I can tell because you you just don't see it. But uh, and I I can probably say the same about the UK. I'm not sure. Maybe you can speak to that. But the American universities, this is not something that's debatable. I don't think they're essentially they're indoctrination centers. That's what they've turned into. And Bruce, I'd be happy to get you to weigh in on this, too. I see what's being taught at universities. I see how kids are are going to these institutions and it's supposed to be institutions of higher learning. And they come out and it seems like they're more stupid than when they went in. I'm not trying to be mean, but I I watch. I'm simply basing this on two things. One, people that I talk to that have gone to these universities and they come out and they don't know, well, really anything. (laughs) And then working with them over the years and, you know, seeing people come out of universities. And it's it's like what I just I'm not quite sure what they know, but they know something and they know more than you do for whatever reason. But I also see the interviews that are given by a guy that you even like, Marty, the uh, the change my mind fella. He sits on universities all across the U.S. Uh, yeah. and, and sits out there and asks, asks these college students questions. And it's shocking some of the answers that these students give. So um, I, I look at these institutions that are that are teaching this uh, this nonsense. I, I'm I'm quite concerned because these are supposed to be the ones that are going to be running the country and on our respective countries at certain at a certain point, and they don't know anything. They come out of these institutions, they're wound up. Th- these are also the places where we're seeing these um, woke 
crowds, if you know what I mean. Th- those are the ones. Yeah. They get wound up in this um, this social justice warrior mentality when they're in there and they come out thinking that they're entitled to this and to that. This is the big scam in the U.S. You go to university, you take out all this money and you go and you get your degree. You come out, you don't know anything. You can't find a, uh, a job in that particular field that you took study in. Now, there are I'm not saying that, you know, all degrees are worthless here. That's not what I'm saying. If you want to be a doctor, if you want to be, uh, you know, an engineer, an architect, uh, you want to go into physics, mathematics, uh, you know, th- business, those kinds of things. OK, fine. But a lot of these things like uh, underwater basket weaving, g- gender studies. There was another one. It was just I, I was it was so it was so stupid. Social justice is now a degree. I, I'm not joking. These degrees are there. And so you go there, you take out all this money and you come out, you can't find a job. You you can't go into the field you you were meant to go into because you studied something that was completely useless and they don't know what to do. They owe all this money and they get wound up into this uh, this, uh, you know, whipped up protest style frenzy because they're scared and they were promised that there was going to be something in that field. And because yeah. there's not, it's everyone else's fault because it's not there. So it's well, that, not they're, the, just, they're just displaying righteous indignation, aren't they? Because oh, <laughs> yeah, we did much, the right yeah. thing. We 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 went to university. I got a degree, and now I'm completely useless. And the only thing you can put it down to is the way in which the degrees, what they're made up of. In actual fact, a bachelor's degree, it doesn't matter what you take that degree in, as long as it meets the right criteria for that level of qualification within the national qualifications framework, then it's then it's worth something because the company that you go into know that you have at least learned the skills of how to communicate effectively because you have to, you know, write your dissertation, write your thesis, and, and you go through various formative and summative uh, examinations. Mm-hmm. So they know that you can communicate they know that you've got analytical skills because you will have been asked somewhere in that in during that degree course, three to four years, to analyze a situation and, and, and do a case study. And again, it doesn't matter what subject it is, because when you move into your new job, it proves all, all that an employer wants to know is, can you apply yourself to something? Have you got good analytical skills? Can you communicate well? Because the rest of it is learned in the job. It's learned as a workplace training scheme. Right, right. Okay. But what's happening is that it's the political opinions and the outlooks of the students going through the universities that I have, have an issue with. And I've seen it here in the UK. Those um, university uh, lecturers are more and more those illiberal liberals that we were talking about earlier on. Mm-hmm. And they, they shape the minds of these young people going through their degree and they come out the other end, uh, and I'm generalizing because it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot. They come out the other end despising their own country, not liking their parents, resenting the fact that they've had an education because they've now got to pay for it. And it's deferred taxation here in the UK. They they don't start paying back their student loans, uh, which is just for tuition fees, uh, until they're earning over a certain level, and then they pay them off for 15 years. And if they don't reach the high levels of earning, quite often the debt is written off before the individual has paid them back. So it's it's the way in which these people are having their perspectives manipulated by academia, not necessarily the degree they're doing. It's 
the academics that are delivering that degree. Right. Um, no, I I see your point. I, I see your point in all that. The, the issue that, that I see with academia, it's, it's precisely how you just narrowed it down. And that is, it's not the students. It's the educators at the institutions that are projecting that particular agenda onto those young minds. That's the issue we're running into. And so you're seeing that they're using the institutions as, I, I hate to say indoctrination centers, but that's what they've become, isn't it? That, that seems well, to look, be the case. To be a lecturer, you're going to have to get at least a master's, yeah? And usually a doctorate. That's expensive. How have many, uh, particularly the ones that are at the senior level, how have they afforded to do it? It's because somebody has recognized their potential and this foundation or that foundation have sponsored them with a scholarship through to do their their master's and their doctorate. You know, it all ties back to the people that we were talking about earlier on. These The people who, you know, own, whose name are, uh, is on these institutions, these foundations, they are going to pick and choose who they get to uh, sponsor, nurture, groom for the future positions as university, university lecturers on whatever subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce, you want to weigh in on academia there? Yeah, more or less. You guys covered exactly what I'm seeing, at least in the U.S. It's a lot of teaching you not how to think, but what to think. And unfortunately, that's um, it seems to be the going trend. I only know of like two colleges that are or, or universities, if you will, in, in the U.S. that are really worth going to. And one of them was the like the College of Ozark. And they basically teach you how to think, but also teach you work ethic. And um, like, I believe the College of Ozarks requires you to have a job and work while you're going to college. So, you know, there's some extra things there that they try to teach you. Not necessarily all colleges and universities will will attempt to teach nowadays. That's interesting, actually. Uh, There's a TV series streaming at the moment called Ozark, and I'm wondering if it's about the college. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Okay, do you guys want to talk big tech? If not, we can cover that in a whole podcast by itself. I think I think that's let's, honestly let's, let's do that separately. Yeah, yeah, I think that's too big. It is relevant here though, but I think that big tech it, because there's so many aspects to it. You got uh, all the different companies like Facebook, Twitter, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and and, and all these companies. So I, I think it's just too much to cover here right now. I really really, really wanted to talk about it tonight, but we just don't have enough time. Uh, Amazon's mixed in there as well. But I tell you what, the next time, the next time we get you on, Marty, maybe later this week, if we if we get time, we'll do one on just big tech by itself with all this. I mean, I hate to break okay. this down into a yeah. third part, but there's a lot to talk on here because this is just, you know, there's there's a lot here. So I, I wanted to touch a little bit about uh, or touch on uh, there's an organization out of Yale University, since we're talking about academia, about uh, Skull and Bones. Now, <laughs> Look, you can make the the assumptions and uh, the, the connections there uh, of people that are known, documented members of that organization. Like I said, I pointed out a few key ones. Uh, George Bush, uh, George W. Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush, his father, Prescott Bush. John Kerry, I believe, was also uh, a skull and boneser. Uh, Austin Goolsby, who worked for the Obama administration, he was one. You know, th- there's a there's a long list of people, and, and that's available online, and you can go and you know people can go and look that stuff up. But as far as any type of uh, governmental conspiracy, the fact is is that the only thing that we can see that we can prove and talk on at the moment is we know the list of members, we know the positions that they've held, and and where they go. 
and, and do their their work throughout you know governmental organizations or or government contractors or wh- whatever it is that they do and they have connections into all these groups yes but are they part of some big worldwide conspiracy i don't know I, I, I honestly don't know. I would think possibly if that's the case, because you see people that are even presidents, uh, they get put into these positions simply because they're part of those organizations. They've gone through the rituals. They've gone through the um, the club, if you will. Now, what goes on behind those doors? I personally don't know. I've never been there, so I can't say one way or the other. I will say that there is a movie out there that you can watch that was supposedly supposedly accurate based on you know I mean it was put forth as a you know as a as a drama movie but you can watch it and get an idea I guess it actually had Matt Damon and it was called uh, the Good Shepherd so that's actually out there now supposedly that depicts what happens within that organization I don't know but uh, that that's all I can say on it uh, at least until I do some other research but I I just have not had time to look into that organization with these sort of organizations and and you have them in all the big universities and the, and the older universities and the schools here in the UK, uh, which go back a long, long way, you know, longer than the whole history of the current United States of America. We've mm-hmm. had these yep. sort of organizations. Um, and what they are, are basically dining and drinking clubs for rich young men. That's how they kicked off. Rich young men at Oxford and Cambridge um, form little clubs to have dinner with each other. And it was because the friendship that they experienced within that club were of people of similar wealth and standing. That way, they knew that the the friends they had within the club weren't out for you know weren't gold digging, weren't trying to gain something from each other within the club itself. Now, whether membership of the club and if one skull and bones uh, recognizes another one at a business meeting. Or across a courtroom, one in the in the chair and the other one in the dock. I mean, who knows? Who knows what what might happen? Because it's a strong bond where they've gone through some form of ritualized initiation, and they have this this feeling of loyalty within the club itself. So that that's the way I see them, and I've, I'm absolutely certain that all of these types of clubs have given rise to some form of favoritism or abuse of power somewhere along the line. Bruce, your thoughts on secret societies and universities? I, I, I feel like that's how Marty described them. I, I feel like that's the how they were originally intended. Uh, even here in the US, like some of the societies, they, it's just a, a fraternity, if you will. But I don't know if all of them are, are that way, you know, and I think that's where this conspiracy theories come in. It, it's some of them do have a Motives that I don't agree with, uh, like, for example, the, the, the Nazi party. But more or less, I, I think because the groups are tight knit and somewhat closed, this opens them up for conspiracy theorists to say, oh, well, they're, they're shady doing stuff because they're wealthy or, you know, uh, what, what have you. The initiations, as often described, are, are in some way humiliating and also take the individual to the point of crossing the line of breaking the law, if not over it, because that way uh, it's a secret that has to stay with them. And it's these kinds of initiations. If you look at the initiations, it's, it's them that help bind the individual. It's, it's a form of groupthink, mass hysteria, 
whatever you want to call it, but the degree to which the initiation for these kind of groups takes the individual into some form of humiliation that they wouldn't want to admit to to their friends and family, and quite often to the point, if not past the point of breaking the law. So Okay, yeah, anyway. I didn't know that. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to touch on with those groups? No, yes? No, I shall look okay. forward to the big tech discussion in a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, I, we will we will discuss that in a couple of days. Okay, we covered some means the other day, and we'll, we'll try and wrap this up because I, I don't want to really make this as long as the last one. But but there's just there's so much to cover here. Uh, the means of these uh, like these groups by, by what means will they will the groups that we talked about uh, achieve their uh, their new world order, if you will? Now again, these are just groups that are not necessarily connected in any way, shape, or form that we talked on. It's just these are the typical topics of conspiracy theorists. That's what we're pointing out here. Some of of them have relevance. Others do not, as Marty pointed out two days ago. So mass migrations, social scoring, mind control, world wars, pandemics, brainwashing, mainstream media, oil prices, food supplies, uh, nation's economies, subliminal messages, a world of rent payers. I mean, we, we, we discussed all these things. Out of all these groups that we talked on tonight, where do we see these groups fitting in with any of these things? I mean, I see, I mean, I can start. Me personally, mind control, I can see that coming out of, say, the extremist movements, you know, the neo-Nazis, the Antifa movements, right? I can see them using the mind control system there because, again, you know, it's about indoctrination to a certain level once they get you in the group. They get you in with a common idea, something small that you can't deny on both sides. And then they'll get you worked into uh, to their way of thinking once you're into the group, you know, once you're in there. Same thing with uh, some of these secret societies we were talking about. And so, I mean, I could see that being used. Pandemics, well, we know who benefits from that, right? Bill Gates benefits from that. And his type, he's not the only one, but his type benefit from that. World Health Organization, we touched on them two days ago. They benefit from that. Mainstream media, they're going to carry the agenda for everything, right? They're the water carriers. They're the useful idiots in the middle. So they're going to do what they're told, right? So I can see the mainstream media being involved in that. World wars, those are always in the cards, right? All these people, all they do, they they want war. Why? Because they will profit on it. And also in the midst of world wars, Marty, I'm sure you can agree with this. It gives them an opportunity to put the world into a state of flux. And then they can control an agenda one way or the other by funding either side of it to determine how the world is going to be shaped on the other side of it. Case in point, they did it with China when we talked about it against uh, uh, with Mao against Chiang Kai-shek being funded, shipments and armaments being diverted. So again, they were able to use the world war at the time because the world was in a state of flux. It was changing. So they, they saw an opportunity to uh, create a society from the base and springboard it up. And that's what they've done. That's why you've seen the rise of China in the last half century, because that's that's where they sent uh, their investments. Breaking of nations' economies. We're seeing that through the use of pandemics, mainstream media, and mass migrations, right? You're seeing that. Uh, oil prices, right? Mainly in this case, you could tag that one with the Russians, right? They're part of the reason. They're not the only one. But I think in conjuncture between them and the Saudis, that's why we're seeing the, the, the crash in oil. So there's your culprits there. Uh, subliminal messages and advertising and entertainment. Well, the media carries the ball for that. And then these people can then, you know, uh, work their way through uh, on those fronts as well. Uh, we talked about the Chinese Communist Party the other day. They own a majority stake in six of the eight Hollywood production houses in the United States. So when you watch TV shows and movies, what agenda do you think you're getting? So whether it's in your face or not, 
what agenda do you think that you're getting? They buy up these organizations. Uh, academia, we talked academia, brainwashing. These are indoctrination centers, in my opinion. You see the way that they're treating the students and how they're being wound up and the degrees that they're being given, the professors that shape their minds rather than help them to become individuals and think on their own. The, these are groups of people that are coming out and, and they're being wound up into, um, I don't want to say anarchists, but um, I'll use a Nancy Pelosi term here, uh, disruptors, we'll put it. Uh, and that, that's what they're being turned into. Uh, and they're being forged as in, in these universities to be put back out into the world and become the useful idiots of the established uh, order types to push their agenda onto the world of those of us that have actually built the society. So th this is uh, this is the major issue. This is where I see all these groups connected with all these different things, in my own opinion. I had something really clever to say. But it, it just slipped, it slipped away for a moment. But I, th I think you're I think you're right. Disruptors, as Nancy says, not necessarily disruptors, because they are being shaped into the conformists that will put up with the new world order. They're they're having their aggression, their in inquisitiveness, their argumentativeness removed uh, as part of the whole process. Of, of going through a college or university education. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. But on that particular point, I think they are being shaped into future conformists and not disruptors. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I won't. I won't argue with that. That's maybe conformist is a uh, is a better better term. Maybe, maybe that's. I was looking. I was kind of grasping at straws there. So I just went with the first thing that I could think of. Well, no, you, you, you're right to use that that term because at the moment, if we look at Antifa and we look at the neo-Nazi groups, that's exactly what they do. They disrupt. They disrupt peaceful protest. They put across ad hominem messages. Neither are helpful. Um, so at the moment, what we see are disruptors, but the ones that have gone through a full education um, and come out the other side and gone into a job, they've still been shaped. They've still been, been manipulated and they've been made conformist. And we all need that little bit of rebellion inside us so that when we are faced with something that's wrong, that we will stand up against it. So that, that's why I just want to make that clarification of a bunch of the stuff you were listing there earlier you know some of the the main conspiracy topics if you will social scoring mind control those kind of things honestly that's that's one of the more one thing that's one of the things i'm more concerned about is things like mind control brainwashing uh social credit scoring all those are achieved by social engineering and one of the things that we're seeing with social engineering how it's happening is academia as, as we were talking about you change the way they perceive the world you change the way that they think then you've achieved mind control, more or less. It's not direct what we see in the movies, you know, where they basically are possessing the person and, and causing them to do something. But by shaping their worldview, you can basically nudge them in directions you want them to go. It's yeah, just, if anything, Bruce, that's more powerful. That is more powerful because the the idea of a, a, of a, a sleeper who's been put into deep hypnosis and on a trigger word will wake up and perform a certain action that's that's mind control in in that respect but shaping the way someone thinks and how they look at everyday life and and guiding and shaping what they're willing to accept from their government is much more powerful than a simple hypnotist trick yeah exactly and the the, the added benefit of they make their own they they feel like they have their own free will if you're yeah yeah it's the biggest con trick of uh, of them all that they feel like they're free thinkers, 
but they yeah. are quite the reverse. And earlier on, Johnny, you said it, you know, it was group like uh, fascist groups that we would use these kind of tactics mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, the extremists, but it's any religion uses these kind of tactics. And to be fair to the religious people, they believe they're doing it with the best of intention. But it, whichever way you look at it, it is a mind control. It's a shaping the way someone perceives the world around them, particularly with religion, where you're taught to obey the three Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Obedience is absolutely key to all three religions. We should just bear that in mind. Yeah. And so to, to kind of tie it together with what we were talking about with like Bill Gates and Google, you know, some of these other big names, if you will, even even the, the politicians, uh, they have their hand in on this pushing the narrative. Uh, we see a lot of uh, party politics or race baiting and that kind of thing. You know, it's all to push their own narrative to change your world perspective. The idea of these big corporations now starting to get into the, well, we're going to ban you your account if you say anything that that is contrary to for example the experts of saying you know covid-19 talking about that if you bring anything up that contradicts the experts you're going to have your post removed or you'll ha- you'll have your account banned this will encourage people to self-censor self-regulate which is a form of social engineering yeah. and as we go further down this road it's very concerning to see a organization uh, such as Google going in and saying, well, we want to do this for the greater good. So we're going to initialize a social credit scoring system or, or something to that effect. And you mm-hmm. see how easy it is to implement that just based on what we're seeing with Twitter and Facebook, what the colleges and universities are doing, you know, even even the elementary schools or, or you know, starter schools, uh, what they're doing. It's it's very easy to achieve if you or simple. If you go on to uh, YouTube, I was I was on there last night. I was uh, I, I opened it up on my phone because there was a specific video I was looking for because I wanted to grab a sound clip of something and you know to use tomorrow. I saw it today uh, as well. Uh, and I took the screenshot of it last night. I'll send it over to you. Like I, I opened up the app, and as I'm scrolling down through there, I'm seeing ads for the World Health Organization. We know what's if you want to pick sides here, we know who their the World Health Organization is is in bed with here. Okay, so we know that. Who owns YouTube? It's Google. So to someone who has a brain in their head, why would you not make the connection there? It's it's common sense. You look at the people who are being banned, like you said, Bruce. The two doctors we played clips here of the other day, what happened to them? They got banned. As soon as they stepped outside of the line, you got two medical professionals that come out and put forth some data that's contrary to the international narrative. They get banned. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right on that. Let's do some. Uh, you, you guys have any closing points? Uh, no, I, I think I'm good. Points? Bruce, you got any closing points? Are you you good? No, I I think I think that what I said there. You know, I wanted to finish here on uh, on education. When I say education, I mean like self education. I don't know everything. You know, I've I've never claimed to know everything. It's it's not about me. I think I know very little in the grand scheme of things. You know, but I learn and I I learn every day. I I study as best I can. I, I self educate as best I can. You know, these guys. Are around here always tell me that I'm I'm doing well. You know, GP always says that or, you know, uh, Bruce or Marty, they, they 
uh, tell me whatever. Marty gave me a standing ovation the other night for for something that I did, and I've never heard him do that. But I, I thank them for it. You know, I, I don't see myself like that, but it's it's humbling to know that these guys uh, look at it like that. But I, I don't take myself and, and put myself on a high horse like that. But I thank all the guys around here for giving me the credit that they do, and I thank all of you that listen uh, for for listening for it. Uh, truth be told, I, I really have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, when I sit here and do this, uh, you can ask Bruce that 90% of the time before we start doing this, uh, I don't even know what we're going to do. I, I just sit down and, and I start talking and we just get into whatever it is we're going to do. But we're not scripted, right? That That's the thing about this. We are not scripted. We're not script readers. We call it like we see it and we do the best we can with it uh, because we don't know what else to do, right? We're not radio people. We're not broadcasters. I, I've said that since the very beginning. We're not here to convince you of anything or, or tow a party line of some political establishment, right? It's up to you as the listener to make up your own mind and think on your own. If you want to call that an agenda, well, then, you know, I suppose you can. But we're just concerned citizens. Observers, I think, is the is, is what you once said, Marty. Uh, and if you're listening to us every day, that means you're concerned, too, which is a good thing, because that means at least you're paying attention. You know, I often ask, we, we've been talking the last few days here about uh, a new world order. Do they really exist? Are all these groups connected in some big shadowy conspiracy? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know, but I can tell you that there are some groups that are relevant and there are some groups that are not. So uh, they're just useful idiots, if you will. But in the end of it, right, in the grand scheme of things here, do we really need a world government body? I, I don't think we do. Uh, however, you hear more and more talk about it. It's been talked about for, for centuries. It's not something that's a new concept. It's just now they feel as though this is another time to try it. And I think if we're going to do it, if we're going to try it, then it needs to be based on several key aspects. You know, Marty pointed out that the other day that we kind of needed to, you know, give points on where we thought we needed to go. Uh, and he talked about uh, the American Revolution. I mentioned something to him about, uh, you know, I said something about the founding fathers being traitors. And he said that he no longer referred to them as, as uh, traitors. He gave his explanation why. Uh, but he pointed out the American Revolution, stating that uh, we have the democratic societies in the world today precisely because of the American Revolution. The idea of deconstructing centralized control and a revocation of totalitarian rule by a monarch or a psychotic dictator or a cadre of mentally deranged individuals that was put forth because of the American Revolution. It wasn't popular. Three percent fought back. Just three percent. Ninety seven percent think about that. 97% wanted to stay serfs to the crown. But what happened? The colonists forged ahead with 97%. The 3% took on the greatest empire that the world had ever seen, and we beat the holy hell out of them. And what we refer to as the experiment in self-governance was born. You look over the last few months in, in all this, last couple of months, uh, as, as you know, all this stuff has hit Western civilization, it's kind of becoming easy to see which people would have fought the Redcoats and which would have bowed to them, isn't it? The idea of freedom of people, the right to worship, the right to speak, the right to own property, the right to keep and bear arms, the right to be left alone by your government was instilled upon the world. These people, these people that are in charge, they seek to revoke that idea and put that genie back in the bottle. Their fear is manifested because of the idea that we have, that we possess, that we hold true and dear to ourselves and to anyone else in this life that chooses to be free and prosperous is something they can't compete with. Those who seek to dominate and control your life are the very antithetical basis of what we as free people believe and hold dear. We know who and what these people and these entities are. We've identified them. We've called them out by name. Learn of them. See them for who they are and not who they portray themselves to be. 
You know, I talked about sports a couple of days ago and how I wish this was the time for people to snap out of it. Instead, all I see are people who scream wanting it back, like a child who had their lollipop stolen from a bigger kid on the street or something. You've got time to watch baseball. You've got time to watch football, but a knowledgeable public we're losing rapidly. I see a lot of people crying over sports, but I see very few crying for their countries. What happened? When did that change? They, as we've stated, because we have to we have to identify them and we've talked about them, you know, two days ago and today, uh, they have changed it. They want to distract you. They want you distracted. They want you entertained. They want you indoctrinated. So you never learn who they are and what they're doing to manipulate and control you. You know, sports, you, you think of sports. My team makes it to the championship. We're on top of the world, right? You're world champions, right? Wrong. While the people cheered, Rome burned. Liberty isn't a light switch. Just like water doesn't come from your tap. This is the mentality we see, though. Now it's time to make a stand for your convictions. Believe in yourself. Believe in your family. Believe in your neighbor, your community, and your country. Always stand on principle, even if you stand alone. That's John Adams, right? What did he mean? Why would you stand alone? Because it's the fundamental idea that we represent and manifest an idea that we can, should, and are able to self-educate, self-govern, and be self-reliant. We're individuals. We can be made better through our own self-determination. We don't need a government for that. You know, I... I um I'm I'm a big admirer of these uh <laughs> these guys these these founding fathers guys you know the more I go back and the more I read of them uh, and the more I learn about uh, their initial ways and you know how they were able to to forge through and do what they did Benjamin Franklin was one of those that that really stood out to me he says how do you become better tomorrow by improving yourself the world is made better be not afraid of growing too slowly be afraid of standing still forget your mistakes but remember what they taught you so how do you become better tomorrow by becoming better today. The person who does things makes mistakes, but they don't make the biggest mistake of all, which is doing nothing, which is precisely what we're doing now. It's nothing. How did these men know that we would be at this point, right? They weren't fortune tellers, but they understood how tyrannical governing bodies and corporations operated. As I stated two days ago, these groups that we've called out by name, they're parasites, living off of the fear and the despair that they peddle to the masses that they can manipulate using media, entertainment, and social media companies. Rejection of these systems, speaking out, self-education, self-determination. These are the salvations from this dying system that we're all looking for answers to. To those that think one person will fix this, I hate to be the one with the bad news here, but there's no one coming. Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, the Congress, the EU, the UN, all these things. None of these are solutions. You want a solution? Look in the mirror. You're the solution to all of this. You, the individual, the informed, the self-governed, the righteous. That's the answer to this. You are what the establishment fears and wants to extinct. You know, I look at the establishment now, the elites, if you will. Have you looked at these people? Do you want to know what I see? I see self-loathing, miserable, nihilistic, low-life degenerates. They're not leaders. They don't know how to lead. They know how to reproject, oppress, and dominate over you, your values, and your country. These are the solutions in my humble apprehension. And I say apprehension because I see so many shufflers. That's what we call them, right, Marty? Shufflers. I see people that don't care, and they don't react in a way to change it. Instead, they get into the fear, and they get into the hysteria, and they double down. They care more about shouting at those of us who understand the world, how things work, what we need to do to take care of ourselves and our families and our neighbors, none of which they know how to do. Why? Because they're followers. They simply think going along will somehow keep them safe, keep their world safe, keep their wealth safe, when in fact they're paving the way for their own downfall. They have no fight in them. That spark of liberty and freedom and justice and common sense, that feeling of being alive and thankful and humble, they're all absent. They're broken conformists. We don't need, nor do we want them to fix this. 
People say we're all in this together. Are we? Are we really? What's the agenda we're seeing pushed by the uh, the World Health Organization and the United Nations? One world, safe at home. That's nonsense. That's where they want you. Are we all in this together? Well, I'm not so sure. Not when I see the shufflers and the conformists. But I know one thing. We the people, that saying, right, that famous American saying, we the people. I don't, nor have I ever taken that to mean just Americans. We the people of America are happy to take the lead and ignite the world in the burning desire of freedom, liberty, and justice. But we the people means all of us, you, me, your family, your community, your country, wherever you are. If you want freedom, liberty, prosperity, and justice, then we're brothers and sisters in that fight against all that seek to extinguish that very idea. That's how we're all in this together. Not locked away in our houses, not safe at home, locked away like prisoners. And to that so-called elite who used our systems, our markets, our wealth, our institutions, and our freedoms, and took our kindness for weakness to build your corrupt empires, and to the sad sack followers at your every beck and call, I say this to you, echoed by the great Samuel Adams. If you love your wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsels or your arms. Crouch down and lick the hand which feed you, and may your chains set lightly upon you, and may posterity forget that you are our countrymen. That's all I had tonight, gentlemen. Marty, Bruce, thanks for being here. For myself, for Bruce, for Marty, for GP, for everybody else we have on around here, we thank you for listening, because it's all of you listening to make this all possible. We love you, and we love freedom and independence, and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas, and we'll see all of you tomorrow. 